This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. This is a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'll be joined along by Chris Trevino and Shotguns Prattling. In a minute, we are fresh off our road trip from the Bay Area where we saw USC take down the Stanford Cardinal 41-28 to up on the farm. So we're going to break it all down, what we saw from the press box, from down on the field, what the players and coaches had to say after the contest. Uh, we're live on three different platforms on YouTube on Facebook and also on Twitter. If you have comments on either Facebook or YouTube, you can put them up there and I will be able to put them up on the screen and we can answer questions or just kind of discuss any of the topics that you would like to hear. And if you want to call uh, live into the show, you can do that. Pick up that phone, you you know, you know the thing you text with and stuff. Yeah, you can actually call with that. 5124-TUNNEL is the number you can call in and we'll put you in the queue and uh, try to keep it brief and we will get you on the air and talk about whatever you would like to talk about with these USC Trojans. All right. So it was a long trip. We uh, we drove up there to the Bay Area. I know. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. But it was fun. We had a good time uh, coming back down. We recorded a podcast uh, on the way back down. So if you want to get some of our early thoughts after the game, you can check that out on uh, Look for the Peristyle Podcast on any of the podcasting platforms. But let's bring in the fellas right now. We got Shotgun and Chris Trevino. Guys, what's going on? How are you guys doing? A little tired. You know, we, we've been driving all day. Well, Ryan's been driving all day. We've been sitting <laughs> in the car all day. Uh, we've been here two hours just chilling in the studio, trying to rest up, but a little tired, but excited to talk about another win for USC football, the first road win for Lincoln Riley in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it was it's a long trip, but I coupled it with a flight to the, the Bay Area and then rode back with you guys just for the show. It's not long when you're with friends. Yeah, of course. With friends. Uh, so, yeah, we got the podcast. So check that out. Uh, get our initial thoughts on that. The Helium Boys uh, podcast, car cast. Um, roadcast. And roadcast. And then we had a special guest with Ryan, our chauffeur. Chauffeur Ryan. Us. Pretty sure it was his first time ever being on a podcast. But, you know, he did all right. <laughs> he might have a future. He might have a future in this. Uh, but no, it was, it's, it's a good trip for the Bay Area, for the, for USC, obviously coming away with a win. Some things, obviously, they got to clean up. But a lot of positives to take out of it. I mean, they dominated for... You know, the first 
almost full three quarters. It was 41-14 with a minute left in the third quarter. And then, you know, you saw some things where they need to clean up. They need to play a little bit better, execute a little bit better on offense in the second half. Uh, the defense, obviously, they struggled with some of the things that Stanford was doing, but Stanford kind of pulled out all the stops against them. And they were able to create turnovers once again, and it turned into big plays for them. And the offense answered. When they got those turnovers, the offense, you know, it, it, you know turned around and put points on the board. Yeah, well, there's a lot to get to. We got a lot to unpack. I feel like we just talked about all this stuff uh, on our uh, podcast. There were, we broke it all down, but there's a lot going on in this game, and so we'll probably break it down by the you know each side of the ball what we see. So if you guys don't know, uh, Chris was on the field shooting video. You can check out the uh, full highlights up on uscfootball.com. The field level highlights and Shotgun Prattling was taking a lot of cool photos. So I got some. You know, got some cool pictures here we can put up uh, during the thing. Jordan Addison, big game for him. So we're going to get to uh, all that kind of stuff. And I was up in the press box, um, you know, talking about the game, tweeting about it, posting live updates and things like that. So we're breaking it down from all sides. Uh, USC's uh, big win over Stanford. And just kind of overall, I know there was some angst among uh, some of the USC fan base, the way the defense was playing, the offense not scoring points in the second half. I just want to like... Start off at the top of the show, give my thoughts and, and get the guys' thoughts too. This is one of those things where, you know, Lincoln Riley mentioned it. What happened a year ago where USC gets pushed around by Stanford at home and they end up firing their head coach, Clay Helton? Uh, it was almost the reverse, the exact reverse score. This was one where it wasn't a perfect game, but it was a Stanford team and David Shaw that pulled out all the stops, play, ran a completely new offense that only one col college in the country runs. Uh, Wake Forest, the slow mesh kind of thing. They pulled that out of nowhere, um, really threw everything at the, the kitchen sink at USC, and the Trojans were still able to overcome it. You know, that 35 points in the first half was just going to be too much for Stanford to overcome. Um, so a lot of firepower from this USC team. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great offensively the second half. The defense gave up 441 yards. Um, but, you know, there were some explosive plays on the defensive side of the ball again. Uh, Chris, how many tackles for loss does this team have through two weeks? Is it 20? 20 tackles for 20 loss, tackles that, for loss. That leads the Pac-12 by a good margin. And we actually thought, you said, that has to be a mistake. But we <laughs> counted it. They had 12. They had 12 this past Saturday. And four, you know, four turnovers each week, eight turnovers total. Uh, what, three defensive touchdowns. Uh, it was a fourth one that got called back in this one. So I get what, I, I never really heard the term, and maybe I just don't remember it. But the explosive plays on defense. You hear about that on offense. But this was a defense that gave up a lot of yards. They gave up some points. But they had enough explosive plays that seems to match well with uh, this offense that has explosive plays. So, I, I mean, for me, it's just sort of like you got to look back and go, you're 2-0. You won your first road game. You won your first out-of-conference game against a team that was gunning for you. I mean, David Shaw was looking for this win, so I think, since Lincoln Riley got hired. So, uh, this was a 3-9 and nine Stanford team last year. They wanted to get off the snide, and they knew beating a really hyped-up USC team would have done that. And, uh, you know, fell short. They weren't able to do it. So if you're a USC fan and you're kind of upset, I would say my recommendation would be, hey, man, take this is a pretty good win. Uh, just the way it happened, all you know, I would say take this one and move on to Fresno State. I would say kind of what you just said, embrace the good that came out of this game, the good that you saw. Because if you, if you want to, to put it in perspective, just think about last year. Just think about all the bad from last year. Embrace the good things, the great things this team was able to do on offense. And, you know, those turnovers on defense, I know it's not always pretty. We'll probably get into a little bit more, but just embrace the positives that 
you get to see with this USC team. Yes, this team knows that that was not a complete effort. That was a big talking point after the game. They know they have to finish. The staff knows they have to finish. Lincoln Riley knows they have to finish. They have a lot of things to fix. To be a championship team, you have to be four quarters. You have to fix the run defense. You have to be able to get more consistent stops. But just just take the win for what it is. I mean, going into it, it was a weird Saturday. A lot of teams ended up taking major L's throughout the country. Baylor took a big loss, overtime loss to Baylor. Texas A&M getting App State by App State. And then uh, uh, Nebraska, uh, Georgia State, uh, Clay Georgia Helton, the fighting Clay. Georgia Southern get, got done in by the, the fighting Clay Heltons. And someone else top 10 lost, didn't they? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I, I was watching that game. I was probably – I had a little alcohol in me. I forgot uh, at the tailgate. But Notre Dame – Got uh, done in by Marshall on the uh, at home. So very weird Saturday. A lot of a lot of top ten teams were getting getting nixed. Uh, but USC, you know, they came in, they handled their business. wasn't as pretty as you'd like it to be, but they got out unscathed, two and zero, up to number seven in the AP poll. So I think you just got to embrace the good. Yes, there was some bad, but they're going to try to work through that. Yeah, I mean, you look at the defense, and there's still a lot of things to clean up. Uh, one, they need to get healthy on the defensive line. They had Dejon Benton miss the game, so you're missing a starter in the middle of your defense line. They moved Tuli Tuli Pelotu inside. He had four tackles for loss in the game, had a sack late in the game to help kind of you know clinch the game along with Solomon Bird. Solomon Bird comes in after Romello Height gets injured. Has a nice game. He had a batted ball at the line of scrimmage. He had a couple of sacks. You know, he didn't play very much in the first game, and suddenly he comes in and makes an impact. They've got to get more out of Corey Foreman. Uh, I mean, the fact that he was behind Solomon Bird is a little bit uh, disconcerting if you're a Corey Foreman fan and expecting him to make a big impact this year. But they also, Tyron Tolini, we, we noticed uh, we're going through and looking at some different things, realized he was there but did not play. So was he banged up? We have to assume that he was banged up rather than not, you know, just being at, being told by the coaches like, ah, you were just not going to play you today. Played well against Rice, had a couple yeah, sacks. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So it would be very surprising if they just kind of benched him for a performance uh, after that. So we've got to assume that he's injured. Obviously, we can't report on injuries from practice, and Lincoln Riley has not said anything about him. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that he is injured there. But – you know, you got to get healthy there, but that is that is the concern because the defensive line depth has been is so thin, and you need some guys to also step up. You have some guys like Kobe Pepe and Earl Barquette who haven't played yet. There are a couple. There there are only a handful of scholarship guys that are completely healthy that have not played in the first two games, and those are two of the guys. So you, you need some guys to continue to step up. You need Brandon Peely to make a couple more plays for you, um, and and I think if you get that as this. As this team, as this defense learns the defensive scheme more and more, because I think they're going to get better and better as the season progresses if they can stay healthy. Then if you can get healthy on that defensive line, I think they continue to get better. Um, and like like we said on the podcast and we said on this analysis yesterday, this was a brand-new offense that Stanford unveiled, had saved this for USC. We're not going to show this against Colgate. We're going to spring this on USC and force them to make adjustments in-game, and USC did a decent job with it. Now, it was a bend-but-don't-break type of defense, and Alex Grinch has done that a little bit the last couple weeks, but then you force those turnovers, and it starts with Max Williams, and it starts with Makai Blackman. Those two guys were in, were combined for three of the turnovers. Each of them had an interception. 
Uh, Max Williams with a big hit by the goal line on uh, Emmitt Smith's son, EJ, to force the fumble. Makai Blackman dives into a pile. There's several offensive linemen around, and he dives underneath those guys and pulls it away from them. So those two guys combining for three of the turnovers. Jacoby Covington coming up with another one, Tuli Tupelotu, showing the hustle, the effort to get out to the sideline to hit, I think it was EJ Smith again, to cause that fumble. So you, you give credit to the defense for the plays that they're making, now can you raise the floor of the bad plays? And that's what that's what Lane Lincoln Riley said after the the game was. You know we're making we're making some bad plays. We're, you're going to have some mistakes every game, but can you raise the floor to where your bad plays just aren't as bad? You know you're not giving up those chunk plays on it. You know your bad play is hey we gave up five or six yards rather than hey we gave up a big play down the field or we gave up a touchdown. So those are the things they've got to clean up on the defensive side. So there's definitely stuff they need to work on. And I know some fans are freaking out about it. Oh, I can't believe this. Where other fans are looking at it and realizing you went to Stanford, a place you haven't won since 2014. You went and dominated the game for the most part. You put up 40 points. And some people are still complaining about the offense you know, in the second half. Some people are complaining about the defense. But you have to also look at it, like Ryan said, of where was this team at a year ago when they played the Stanford team? They were searching for a new coach on this day because Clay Helton had been fired on the Sunday. So, you know, I, I think that's the, the difference uh, in 12 months right now. And you kind of kind of remember that and put that in perspective rather than jumping on one game and saying, you know, this team can't do this or can do this or whatever it may be. you got to look at the totality of everything, and especially if you're looking at it at 12-year spectrum. Things look a lot better than they did 12, 12 months ago. Yeah. Excuse me, 12, 12 months spectrum, not a 12 year spectrum. 12, yeah, 12 months ago. And it uh, could, could be a 12 year spectrum. It's been a while since USC was good. So we mentioned it a couple of times, and I'll, I'll go over it real quick for everybody because we mentioned this on uh, Instant Analysis and we talked about it on the podcast we recorded in the, uh, what was it, the Roadcast? Uh, we call it on Chris? the five. On, on the, the five. five. We the five on the five. <laughs> the five freeway driving down here. So, um, I'm friends with Bruce Feldman. If you you know follow him on The Athletic or on, uh, you know, on Fox. Um, he wrote a, a really interesting piece over the summer about coaching his son's uh, Pee Wee Football League team. And was, you know, he didn't want to be the head coach, or they were kind of thrown into it. And he asked Dave Clawson, who's the head coach of Wake Forest, about the offense that they run because there was an accidental play that kind of looked like this slow mesh, which what you saw Stanford run on Saturday. Uh, there's kind of the delay when you're about to hand off the ball. You can run play action off of it. Uh, and you know you can run reverses, things like that. We saw Stanford do all that stuff. But Wake Forest is the only team in the country that runs this offense. They were uh, in the ACC championship game last year. They've won a whole bunch of games the last couple of years. It's a really cool offense. And you know Bruce's son and their team end up winning uh, the Super Bowl for their Pee Wee League, and they ran a lot of slow mesh concepts. But I texted with Bruce after the game, like, does anyone else in the country run this besides Wake Forest? And he said, no. Not to his knowledge. And, you know, Bruce ran it with his son, uh, Wake Forest, Dave Clawson, they run it. And then David Shaw in the offseason decides to run this offense that nobody else in the country runs outside of Wake Forest. No one saw it. They played a game last week against Colgate. You didn't see it then. So that's why it was sort of like, if you want to get critical of the defense, it's sort of like playing Air Force. And you're like, oh, they ran for a lot of yards. Yeah, that's what they do. It's like a triple option kind of team. So, yeah, there were, there were some definitely some problems. And I think it took them a while to kind of realize that the running back was getting the ball a lot. And then I thought Stanford did a nice job when USC was kind of collapsing on the, the ball carrier. They ran a reverse off it. Or if they were doing a play action and then Tanner McKee come, come back and throw and, and find somebody. So this was, I mean, I get it. The, the USC defense gave up a lot of points, uh, gave up a lot of yards. 
But they forced a lot of, you know, some big negative plays, which was good. They forced four turnovers again, which was good. And you were really going in blind. Like anything you prepared for the Stanford team, you had to throw out the window right away. So I wouldn't be too critical of that. But just so people know, if you didn't realize, hey, what's the slow mesh thing? They pulled that. I don't know. I mean, they pulled it out of nowhere. It'd be interesting to see uh, how he got it. Uh, you know, we have no indication that he actually talked to Dave Clawson and, and got, you know, and got advice from them on how to run it. They must have watched film. And really pulled this one out of thin air. This, this was a 3-9 and nine Stanford team that was a lot of criticism. David Shaw didn't fire any assistant coaches after going 3-9 and nine last year. But he said they were going to change schemes up. And we didn't really see it last week against Colgate. But you saw it in this one. Uh, they changed their defensive front. They went from a 3-4 to a 4-3. So that was completely different. And then, you know, they're running the slow mesh offense, which was obviously completely different than what they did before. Maybe he saw it at one of uh, Bruce Feldman's Pop Warner games. It could have. Just driving by, it's like, <laughs> I'm going to check that out. And he's like, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm look, looking over there, the quotes from uh, you know his press conference yesterday, yesterday after the game, and he said that they had saw it, and it was one of their off-season projects was to put in this offense. They went through, watched all the film, watched what they did, watched what they said about it, um, and thought that it could fit that their system, their quarterback – and basically the thing is, you know, you're putting the emphasis on Tanner McKee is to make a decision. Is the safety moving out or is the linebackers, are they clearing out space? Then you give the ball to the running back. If the safeties or linebackers are coming up, you want to attack with those wide receivers. And it kind of fits their personnel because it's, hey, once you if those safeties do come in the box, then you want to take those one-on-one matchups. And that's what Stanford loves, getting those one-on-one matchups with their big wide receivers. We're going to throw the jump ball on the outside, and we're going to get pass interference calls if we can't catch the ball. And the Pac-12 referees helped them in that regard. I felt like there were a few meh penalties out there on those pass interferences where I wouldn't have called, thrown a flag, but they did. And that's, you know, that's the way that Stanford has run their offense the last few years is to live and die by those jump balls on the outside. Well, this gives them something to build off of while still being able to attack with that same uh, style of play that they like to use as far as those outside jump balls and with their personnel that they have. So now they can get back to running the ball. This, you know, maybe freeze them up a little bit on the front, on the front. They don't have to just be mauling people. You, they, you can out-scheme teams a little bit and out-patient them, uh, and that's what that, that slow mesh does. So it was an interesting concept for them to break out, and like David Shaw says, he thinks it fits their personnel. So they saved it, waiting for USC, and then said, okay, let's unveil it now. And they unveiled not just, okay, this is a new concept, this is what we're going to do, but here's the wrinkle off of it. Here's the end around to the tight end. Here's the reverse off of it. All those type things that they were throwing in there to try to, you know, to throw USC off. And they gained a ton of yards. They gained over 400 yards. Granted, they had 80-something plays, so the yards per play is not as high as, you know, as the total yards makes it seem. Um, so the defense, you know, they given up, gave up a ton of chunk yards. They didn't give up the the huge explosive plays, you know, for touchdowns or anything, but definitely a lot of things for USC to clean up, but you also have to, you know, take it into perspective and say, okay, this is brand new. They had to make an adjustment on the fly. You saw that Stanford was going a lot, a lot of tempo early in the game, not necessarily so much in the second half, because it, when you unveil something, you spring something on team, you don't want to give them time to make that adjustment on the sideline or, you know, make a call, make some adjustments, let the coaches think about it. So they were just trying to attack, attack, attack uh, as much as possible early in the game. And then you saw later in the game when USC made some adjustments, they started slowing things down and trying to, you know, figure out the right plays that they wanted to run. Are you winded? Nah. <laughs> he Not just went and went and went. The slow match was giving me issues. Yeah. I was filming <laughs> from the back. I was like, yeah, what did why that look is, like, why Chris? Is it? <laughs> At first, I didn't realize what was happening. I was like, 
he's taking a long time to pull that ball out because he's just like <laughs> holding it there. And then and then I just I, I got got a bunch in week one with uh, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley offense multiple times where I was going this way. Nope, ball's over here. This time they got me a couple more times, a little bit less. I was a little bit cleaner for uh, Lincoln Riley's office, but the the slow mesh was just frustrating me at times. I was like, all right. Where do I gotta go? Are you gonna throw it? Or are you gonna ho- so I, I can't imagine what it was like for the for the linebackers and the and the, and the defense seeing it from their perspective. So I, I definitely got a full back view of the slow mesh. And with a, a defense like USC is super athletic, you want them to try to do too much. And the slow mesh makes you just be super patient, stay in your gap, don't don't try to do too much. You know, focus on your assignment. And with you know, just like the Pete Carroll teams, that's something you want to do. You want to hit them with that misdirection. You want to get them to flow too far over on on uh, you know on some actions and come you know to hit the cutback lanes and stuff like that. So that's what they were trying to do with this defense. And so USC had to make some adjustments with it. You saw them throwing some corner blitzes in there, some slot blitzes, some different things to try to mix things up. You saw at the the last play of the game, actually Solomon Bird kind of drops back and just waits. And waits to see what Tanner McKee is going to do. And then when all the offensive linemen go to block someone else, he takes off and attacks Tanner McKee and is able to get the sack on that final play. Just kind of being patient and waiting for the running back to clear out and go on a route and then attack. And was able to get that sack to his second sack of the game to, to end the game, basically. Call it what it is. What's the official name for that? The, well, when a linebacker does, it's more of a green dog blitz. Yeah, just say green but, dog. I just like it when you say green dog. <laughs> green, green dog, dog blitz. blitz. It's not necessarily when you, when you have a, a defensive lineman that's kind of backing up a little bit. So I don't know if that's technically the term on it. I'm not a defensive coach. So um, so let's talk about the offense a little bit. And uh, we're going to get to a whole bunch of your questions and stuff too. We just want to kind of give a little recap of what's going on. Pretty impressive start. Um, Caleb Williams, through his first five drives of this game, never was the quarterback at USC and had a non-scoring drive. I mean, it was all touchdowns and one field goal last week. And then... Uh, his first five drives were all touchdowns uh, until the the half, you know, just before the half. Um, didn't even face a third down on any of those. And then, of course, in the second half, USC only scored six points, uh, three different field goal attempts. USC went, you know, Dennis Lynch went two for three on the field goals. And, you know, did they take the foot off the gas a little bit, whatever. I mean, there might have been some compl- complacency. We can kind of talk about all of that. But it was a pretty impressive overall uh, offensive performance. You know, Jordan Addison. 172 yards, seven catches, eight targets, that 75-yard bomb. I mean, he looked like the Blitnikoff Award winner for sure. Just so smooth out there. Travis Dye going on for over 100 yards. He had that one. Uh, Chris had a great video of the big hole opening up on uh, his long touchdown run. You know, Mario Williams had some really nice plays. So, I mean, the, the star players that you're talking about, and to be fair, I mean, a lot of them were, were transfers, right? Caleb Williams, super efficient day. Uh, Jordan Addison's transferred in, Mar- Mario Williams transferred in, Travis Dye transferred in. Solomon uh, Bird. Solomon Bird. Well, well, we're talking <laughs> offense right now. Solomon Bird was transferred. A lot of transfers had big games, so the, the roster completely being over overworked is uh, is a big deal for this. But just kind of get your thoughts uh, on how the offense uh, did on Saturday. This is not me saying that from week one, Rice, that we didn't feel like we saw, like, those big-time performances from some USC star players. Jordan Addison had two touchdowns, but it wasn't like a bananas game or anything. Like, two touchdowns against Rice. You know, that's kind of expected. You know, Caleb Williams, you know, lit it up. You know, only had, what, two incompletions or something like that. But he was pulled out pretty early. You know, didn't go the full game. Travis Dye didn't have a big game. I think he had, like, 40 yards total. Didn't have a touchdown. But here was kind of one of those games where you saw kind of those stars that we knew were going to be stars 
come to play. You know, Jordan Addison blowing up, what, 170 yards, something like that. Another two scores, that big 75-yard bomb where he just made a a preseason first uh, first team cornerback look silly down the field. You, we were watching that play. You said just so smooth, just mm-hmm. so smooth. Uh, Travis Dye, you know, his first 100-yard game as a Trojan, just making all the plays, running hard. Big hole for him up the middle on that touchdown. His first touchdown as a Trojan. Big game for him. Caleb Williams, four touchdowns, looking like the Heisman guy that we know he is, you know, making moves, uh, throwing stiff arms, saying, get off me, little man, things like that. So you saw your stars come out and play in a, in a big road game, and we were waiting for this kind of performance to see all these guys, this star power come together. Again, not saying that the star power didn't come out against Rice, but this is a bigger moment, a bigger road game, uh, a place you haven't won since 2014. And it was nice to see those guys step up and have those big games in a game like this. I think it just shows the explosiveness of this offense, how you're going to have, have different guys be able to step up every game. Uh, really, Brown you know, was banged up a little bit at the end mm-hmm. of last week. He had a couple carries in this game, I think four carries, but didn't do too much. Didn't have that explosive play. Didn't matter. Because Didn't now Mario happen. Williams had multiple explosive plays, whereas last week he didn't have those necessarily. He had the reverse and that you know a couple catches, but nothing big. And you see what Jordan Addison can do down the field. We didn't see that the first week. USC didn't really try to do that. They didn't try to attack downfield, but he got one-on-one coverage out there and turned around uh, Caillou Blue Kelly, who's a really good cornerback for Stanford, beats him a couple times on those deep balls, shows what he can do. But there's also... Brendan Rice, you know, if he doesn't get called for the offense pass interference, he's got two catches for 40 yards at least, maybe 45 or so. Um, you know, he's got that big body out there. He can go get the, go up and get a ball. Saw Lake McCree get in the end zone for a touchdown. You know, you saw you know, Taj Washington in the first game. You didn't necessarily see him in this game. There's so many weapons that USC can use and use in different ways. There's gonna It's going to be a different guy every week. Now, Jordan Addison's probably going to be one of your guys every week, but you're going to have like three different guys that are going to have some explosive plays each week. And, you know, I think it's going to just be a, a mix-up. You know, I talked to Travis Dye after the game and asked him about you know the running back rotation. He said we do have a, a set rotation, but it's you know whoever gets hot is going to get the rock. Uh, you know, and that's how it is. They know that you know if someone gets going, then that person's going to get it. And give credit to the offensive line for that touchdown he had. You know, he basically had a semi lane to run through. You know, he was asked after the game, what'd you see on the run? He just kind of chuckled. He said, I didn't see anything but the end zone because there were no defenders anywhere around him. I think you you noted that he kind of looked around like, wait, is, is there someone supposed to be around me? I feel like there should be a defender somewhere around here. But there wasn't because the offensive line kind of wiped out everything on that play. And I think the offensive line is only going to get better and you're going to see some different things. And so creative with some of the play calling. Uh, you know, they run the GT pool is what they call it, which is a guard uh, tackle pull to the opposite side. It's a counter play to, to run, pull those guys around and be able to create a hole. Well, they did that. And then they ran the tunnel screen to the opposite side of it off of that. That's, you know, that's the counter to that play. Well, then they ran a counter to the counter of the play by running the, the motion. They play action that they were going to run the GT pool. Then they faked to the other side to the tunnel screen, and then they went back to Travis Dye, who's wide open for a screen. And the two blockers that were coming around normally, they're out in front blocking for him, and he picks up you know 10, 15, 20 yards on a, on a easy catch. So you know just the creative things that they're doing with this offense and mixing things in like that. Uh, I think that played a little bit into what happened in the second half. I feel like you know they had some set plays like these are the plays we gotta have for this game. Once you're up by big, let's just save some of those plays that we've you know, kind of designed for this week. 
We'll just save those, not put them on film, and save them until next week or the week after uh, when we see that matchup again. We think it would be a good fit. Uh, so I, I think they, they they didn't keep their foot on the pedal in the second half, and I think that went to the play calling as well as you felt a little bit of you know just you know, a little bit of air let out of the sideline for USC, and some of the players talked about how they didn't come out with as much intensity in the second half. So they've got to clean that up. And Travis Dye said, yeah, it's a, it's a, a learning moment. Uh, to, it's a teaching moment for those younger players to be able to say, hey, we've got to put our foot down all the time. We've got to put our foot on the opponent's throat and you know finish them off. All right, guys. Uh, we have some live callers in the queue already. Oh, you, boy. You ready, to, uh, you ready to take some calls? I predict Dave from Iowa will be on the call. He's, he's on there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to go with, let's see. Let's go to Luke. Luke, you are on live with Television. How you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. It's good to talk to you guys again. I uh, went to the Stanford game last or uh, yesterday right next to the Stanford band. They weren't happy about that. Almost got kicked out. But, uh, nice. yeah. Uh, just looking at the stadium, it wasn't really packed. I'm just wondering your thoughts on this coming up game and thinking, is it going to be a sellout? Thanks for the call, uh, Luke. What This is your guys' territory. I'm terrible with attendance and figuring out things. Uh, it's not supposed to be as hot, I believe. It's uh, a night game. 7.30 should be nice and uh, cool. The heat wave is gone. That's so. what I'm saying. The heat wave's gone. So even, I mean, even at 7.30 last week, it would have been still crispy. Um, so I think it'll be cooler, mild, more, t more mild temperatures. But I don't know. What are you guys? Or, or, what are your guys' thoughts on potential sellout? I feel that excitement building with the uh, the fans. You know, just all the fans that talk to us at the game, or you know, shouting at us from the sideline. I expect a really good turnout. You know, sixty thousand, uh, around sixty thousand plus came out for uh, that a season opener in a blistering hot day they showed out they had energy they had enthusiasm yes they left a little bit early but they were there they were rocking early so i think you know 7 30 start you know fresno state is a good team they have an experienced quarterback i think this will be a, another good test for usc to face in terms of an offensive opponent for that defense i'm expecting a good crowd i'm let's go i don't know if it'll be a sellout but i would expect Maybe I predicted 70 for the season opener. I was off by 10,000, but I'd probably go back again to like 70, 75, maybe. That's a lot. That's uh, a lot. I always go way over. So don't judge that's okay. Nothing, but. Yeah, I think you could get like, I think you could get in the high 60s for this one. Uh, Fresno State's going to bring fans. They do. So that's going to help uh, for sure. That'll help the numbers. It's a late game. Uh, someone said there's a big uh, pay-per-view fight that night. Canelo, I think, is fighting. Um, whatever. I'm just saying, but yeah, I think, you know, something in the high sixties, uh, would be good. Lincoln Riley sort of made a little reference to, you know, being excited about this win and wanting to get more people out in the Coliseum. I think they're going to build on the rice game. It shouldn't be too hot where, you know, they're bringing in, you know, a dozen bottles of water for everyone just to try to like stay hydrated and stuff. So yeah, I, I think you're going to get a, a, I think it's going to be, you're going to look at the crowd. And go, that's going to, that's going to be a good crowd. I don't think it'll be a sellout though. Um, what was I going to say? I blanked. Sorry. <laughs> I blanked. I was just trying to look up this thing. It's supposed to be like uh, 80? 80. 80? Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, by the time kickoff, it's going to be like 70. It's going to be like 70 degrees. It's going to feel great out there. It's going to feel great. Get there early. Tailgate pretty much all afternoon. Going to as the, long as they'll let you. There's a certain As long as they'll let now. you. That's fine. That's as long as you let you. But I expect a good showing for the first night game of the season. All right. We got another call. Uh, I don't think the name is up there. Oh. 
Uh, who's your Who's calling, and uh, where are you calling from? This is Brian. I'm down here in South Georgia. I was calling and asking, do you think, because we showed so strong in the first half, that they're just trying to pick on a second half, not realizing what it took from what happened from last year? And can we get, do you think Corey Foreman is going to ever show out? Thanks for the call, Brian. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I don't know exactly what, what he was asking as far as the first half, second half. Um, I think that they, they have to play better in the second half. They have to put things together to be more complete. And, you know, the players talked about, you know, they didn't come out with enough intensity in the second half. You know, they kind of let their foot off the pedal, and that's something they have to do better. So I think that, again, it's a learning experience and something that this unit, you some players know that. Travis Dye knows that. But can you then, you know, can you uh, explain that to the younger guy? Can you teach him up? Can you teach the next guy up? That has to happen, and sometimes you have to experience it for some of those players before they totally understand. So it's good to get it, kind of get that experience out of the way in a game where you're dominating 41-14, but you got to play better than that because there's going to be games where you're, you're, that you're in that are going to be much closer going, through, going forward. Yeah, and as far as Corey Foreman, I mean, God, you sure sure hope so, just with that God-given talent and ability. But it starts in practice, you know, doing those things in practice where, you know, the staff makes it harder than it is on Saturday. So if you're stepping up there, that's where you're going to see him get the opportunity on game days, on Saturdays. But he just has so much talent. You just have to see it more consistent. There'll be plays where you see it in practice. It's like, whoa, that's why he was a five-star. That's why he was considered the number one overall prospect. The ability to do that is what separates him from – separates anyone at that talent level from being, you know, a guy who's not finding it at college to being a dude at college. It's finding that ability to hit those consistencies, do that over and over, do it in the big moments when they need you on third down or whatever position you are. I don't know. But just for as a pass rusher, just to be able to bring out, get that big sack in the moment or have that big pressure when they need it, you know, things like that. It's, it's being able to translate it from – doing it in practice, to doing it in a game, and to be the guy that steps up in the moment and use that talent to impact uh, impact the outcome of a game. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, we have several questions about Corey Foreman. Is Corey Foreman behind Solomon Bird at defensive end? Did Corey Foreman play? What can you guys tell us about Corey Foreman? I know Solomon Bird was getting more snaps. Corey Foreman was in front of Solomon Bird last week. Corey Foreman was behind Solomon Bird this week. Now, did either one of those guys make so many plays last week to deserve one spot or another or make so many positive or negative plays? No. So that tells you it happened in practice. And that's been the, the knock on Corey going back to last year is that he's not getting enough done in practice. Now, part of it was he was banged up. He's got to learn how to practice and how to be consistent at practice to earn the coach's trust so that they will play him on Saturdays. We've seen the flashes. Now he's just got to be that consistency, just like Chris talked about. He's got to have consistency in practice first so that he can then put forth the potential consistency in a game on Saturday. And the fact that Romelo Height went out with that shoulder injury, uh, and we've had questions asking about him. We don't have any injury updates necessarily. Um, that, you know, He went out with the, in that game as well as Cortland Ford went out. Both those guys look like it, it could be injuries that you know, could be something that to we'll, we'll keep an eye on going forward as much as we're allowed to, but something that could be a concern for them next week, definitely. Uh, Romelo Height, the question is going to be for me, is that something that's going to bother him all season, or is it something you can sit him for a couple weeks and get it fixed? 
or is it something that eventually is going to have to have surgery and, hey, you can play through it. He's just got to deal with the pain. I mean, there's different levels to the injury. We don't know exactly what it is. I'm assuming it's some kind of AC sprain with the way that they were messing with it on the sideline. This, this is making a complete guess, and I probably shouldn't do this. Um, but just having seen other people have their shoulders get popped in and out type of thing, that's what it seems like he's having issues with. Uh, and you hope that he can get it fixed because you want to see him play to his potential, and he just hasn't been able to do it the first two weeks. One, he gets uh, thrown out for the targeting penalty in the first game. This week, I think he plays like less than 10 snaps, and then he was out of the game because of the injury. You know, the shoulder bothered him. He went to the sideline for, before the fourth down play, and then we never saw him again because he was out of pads and, you know, had his shoulder iced and he had it in the sling. So you hope he gets healthy. But if he's not healthy, that's a big opportunity for someone like Corey Foreman. And I'm sure the coach is saying, Corey, just show us in practice. Show us every day what you can do. And then that way, when you get to Saturday, you're like, this is easy peasy because I've been doing it against, you know, I've been doing it against Andrew Voorhees. I've been doing it against these uh, these guys that are veteran guys and been going against Bobby Haskins, you know, who's played for five years at Virginia. Now you get to face a guy against Fresno State, and no offense to anyone from Fresno State, but it should be a little bit easier, you know, because I don't know if they have any NFL prospects on the offensive line off the top of my head. So, you know, show us in practice what you can do this week, and then maybe on Saturday he gets an opportunity to get in the game and goes out there and performs. That's what the coaching staff seems to be waiting on, and that's been the common theme whenever Corey Foreman's name is mentioned is we just got to see that consistency. We need to see him. We see we see the what he can do, but he's got to do it, you know, every time, every day in practice, and that's what I keep hearing from people around the program is that, He's just not practicing well enough to be earning those reps right now. Yeah. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We still got a full queue every time we uh, drop a caller and uh, another one jumps in. So Sorry, I'll be. I'll try to be quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've, uh, are, you already mentioned a Dave from Iowa. Bring he him is, on in here. He is on the line right now. Dave, what's going on? What do you want to talk about? Hey, guys. Dave from Iowa. First off, just want to say really impressed with the defensive line. They wreaked havoc against Stanford's offensive line. Very impressed. What do you think that what What do you think their their performance means for defensive defensive line recruiting? And second, now you guys were talking about you know last year and this year in terms of the Stanford game. Uh, my uh, the other thing I wanted to say was one thing I heard from last year and this year was about accountability. I understand Makai Blackman did get an interception. He did have three pass interference calls. Do you think he's going to be doing up and downs? Uh, uh, in practice because of that? Because, again, Lincoln Riley said it's all about being accountable, right? What do you think? All right. I'll go with the Makai Black one first. No, I don't think he'll be doing any up-downs. Uh, not only did he have an interception, he recovered a fumble. Um, you know, he had multiple pass deflections as well. 
he he had the pass interference calls and a couple of them warranted, but that's it's a tough matchup. It's not like he's grabbing because he's getting blown by or anything. He's in the position, just trying to make plays. It's not like he was just holding on for dear life, uh, or you know, it's not a taunting penalty, anything like that. Those are the penalties the coaching staff doesn't want. Uh, and I think you mentioned on on the podcast just those those penalties where you're being aggressive and trying to attack, and that's what he's trying to do: attack the ball, attack the hands, and and try to you know make a play on the ball. And you see what it does on the fourth down play where he attacks, gets his hand on the on the ball, makes the interception, and takes it back. And if Tanner McKee doesn't make a tackle there, that's a 101 yard interception return for a touchdown. So I don't think he'll be doing any extra up down or any punishments for having a couple penalties in that game. And we yeah. looked at the one we were, we were watching that wasn't yeah, the, the, the second. I think it's the second one, yeah, second, second quarter up the left sideline, um, and he has his hands off the receiver, and he bumps him with his body a little bit, but the throw's nowhere close to it. It should never have been thrown a flag. So that one was a little bit out out of control there. Uh, but there were a few that were what I just – I didn't think they were necessarily pass interference calls. Uh, and, you know, Stanford got him. So that happens sometimes. Yeah. And uh, as far as the second part of his okay. question really quickly with the recruiting, shout out to the Composite Two-Star Recruits podcast. Check it out. Um, absolutely. You're having – you have this film now through two games. There will be more where you can be like, hey, this is a defense, a defensive front where we're making plays. We're top 10 in the nation in tackles for a loss. We lead the Pac-12 in sacks. We're getting – to the quarterback, we're making plays. We're helping this defense create plays in the backfield uh, with those turnovers. So you have film to show, but you also have a little bit of wiggle room to be like, hey, we do know we have some issues. We have some personnel issues, depth issues. We we need to help shore up the run game. You could be that guy to help us. You know, that's what you pitch to a, you know, a T.A. Cunningham. You know, Grant Bucky was in the stands watching the game, the Stanford game. They do need some defensive line recruits. They're going to find those defensive line recruits. But you do have the tape where you can be like, hey, look, Come play in this defense. We're making plays in the backfield. We also need you because we need more bodies for our front. Early playing time is available. Come come sign with USC. So you're getting that film where you can go put it on when they come to visit for, you know, whether that's in December or you can send them film to look at or show them for film or whatever to be like, hey, you're going to be a guy in this, this defense. You're going to be a guy who can make plays for us, get in the backfield and continue these uh, these big play moments for for this this scheme. Okay, we got to put you guys in a shot clock. We have uh, three, what, three real in quick. the call. We have like nope. 17 busy signals coming in. Like, there's a lot of people that want to get in. Okay, real quick. Blackman was targeted 11 times in the game. The fact that you get targeted double digit times is is a lot in a game. Gave up three catches. So, at six tackles as well. So, I thought he played pretty well. I did too. All right, let's go. I think this is Erica uh, calling in. Uh, thanks for calling in on television. Let us know who you are and where you're calling from. So, this is Eric. Calling from Salt Lake City, Utah. Nice. How's it going, Shotgun, Troy, and Chris? Thanks for calling. What do you want to talk about? On, what is? What do you think, Shotgun? What is your prediction on uh, where USC is going to be rate, ranked next weekend? As well as, do you think USC is ready for uh, Utah? I mean, Being Utah is doing pretty good. Yeah, obviously Utah bounced back and you know beat up on Southern Utah. You know should have won down the swamp. Disappointing the way that, that game finished for them. Uh, but they're going to be a tough team for USC. That's a long way away though, just because I feel like so much can happen in three four weeks before that game comes up. Just as far as injuries and just as far as personnel can be can, can be completely different when that time comes. Uh, you know, looking at USC. They're they're ranked seventh in the AP poll. I think eighth, eighth in the, the coaches. coaches poll. 
uh, going into this game against Fresno State. And Fresno State, is, they can't start looking ahead to Utah already because Fresno State's going to be a big challenge. And then going to Oregon State will be a big challenge as well. Both these teams played last night, uh, late night game there, and you know was won by Oregon State on the final play of the game. Great back-and-forth action at the end of the game. The USC fans, you get a chance to find a replay of it and watch it just because that's your next two opponents. But I think both of them will be able to challenge USC the next couple weeks. Next one. All right, let's go. Uh, looks like we got Andrew from San Diego. Andrew, thanks for calling in. What do you want to talk about? Uh, two questions. One, is Fresno State a potential trap game? And two, Brian, have you tried the triple ginger snap cookies from Trader Joe's? Because they are good. Thank you. I haven't, thank you for the call. I haven't tried those, um, but I need to try them. I know what he's going to talk about in the next Parasol podcast on Tuesday. Sure. Like, <laughs> we, we have like a back room full of snacks because of uh, they gave us a whole bunch of snacks for a tailgate. So, I, yeah. But I, I'm always willing to try some new ones. Trap game. Let's talk about it. Is it a trap game? I think Fresno State is a sneaky, tough opponent. You know, they got a really good quarterback. Jeff Tedford is a, is a good coach. That program has been really, uh, you know, respectable, good football. They get up. To play USC because a lot of those kids are the are the kids that you know wanted to go to USC. They grew up Trojans. They want to be wanted to be Trojans, but you know they're at Fresno State and they are very passionate about football in that part of the country, that part of California. I know, I, I believe it was you or maybe it was Ryan that said they're maybe going to be a little bit let down after you know such a tough. That was Ryan. That was me. There. Yeah, yeah. They, just after a tough, hard, heartbreaking loss. loss to Oregon State at home. I still think they're going to get up. This is the USC game. This is yeah, the game. That I, I still think there's going to be some umph there. So I, I would say, yeah, don't don't go to the Coliseum thinking this is going to be a cakewalk for the Trojans. This is a tough one, especially when you have a big road game looming uh, for the for the Beavers right behind them. Yep, could be a trap game just because of the name Fresno State. If you just look at you don't look at the film, you just look at the name, say oh Mountain West, and you know you know that Oregon State could be a tough opponent coming up. You could say oh trap game. Yeah, uh, let's go just on the street. Ted in Manhattan Beach, South Bay guy. Ted, what's going on? What do you want to talk about? Uh, just a quick question. I just want to think, ask if people are maybe getting a little overly concerned about the defense. I mean, all they're making adjustments. I know we definitely need to improve in certain areas, but I think Shotgun brought up in the instant analysis, they had, or you brought up actually, Ryan, that this is the first time they were using the, the long RPO, and uh, it was something no one had seen before. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Go for it, Ryan. Um, this is yeah, your topic of choice. Yeah, so, I mean, Fresno State has uh, Jake Hayner, who's a, a star quarterback. He almost went to Washington. But then you bring in Jeff Tedford, who's who gave Pete Carroll fits in the beginning uh, of his tenure there. So I feel like Fresno State is a, a really good football team. They will get up for big games like this. I think it just might be – it's a lot to ask to go from – putting all your eggs into that Oregon State basket where you think you're going to win and uh, you just come come up short at the end. Oregon State scores as you know as, the, as time is run out on the clock. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to bounce back from. But I think they can. I think they have the potential to do that. But, um, yeah, we will see. I don't think that you're going to see you know a brand-new offense from Fresno State like you did Stanford. So I think the defense will be more prepared for Fresno State. And Ryan was talking about it on the podcast that the Fresno State's offense is a little bit more basic, a little bit more of a, a common defense. I mean, a common offense. So because it's not something rare like the the slow mesh, the long RPO, as you, you phrased it, then I think that USC's defense should be a little bit more prepared, and maybe we get a, a better assessment of where this defense actually is after this game. Yeah, I think you're going to see. I mean, I think you saw what Oregon. I mean, uh, what Fresno State's offense was, 
last week. It's not they didn't hide anything. They're not so there shouldn't be as many surprises, but it's going to be a tough offense. To, I mean, Hainer was throwing some balls into some tight windows, so they're they're definitely going to test this USC secondary. We got one last call in the queue, and we'll get to some other questions. It looks like this is Brandon from Minnesota. Brandon, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, good. How about yourself? Good, thanks. Uh, what um, do you want to talk about? Question: Do you think this game puts USC's line uh, on the map that people are going to actually start to respect them? I mean, I think people that were watching this game, especially if you watch that first half before you're, you know, taken off for you know your night activities, uh, if you're on the East Coast or whatever, then you're probably going, "Ooh." USC team might be for real. This isn't a two-year rebuild. This is a team that's ready to go right now. And Kirk Herbstreit mentioned it multiple times in that first half because uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't got to halftime yet in the rewatch after we got back to the studio. But you mentioned it that yeah, this USC team looks like they're for real, and it's not something that's going to be a long-term thing. They're already back in the mix now. There are some things to clean up. There are some injury issues potentially for USC, so those things could hamper them down the line. But you know, they've looked really good offensively the last two weeks, and the defense is making a ton of big-time plays. Now, can they, you know, start raising the floor, as Lincoln said, on some of those bad plays and be more consistent? That's been the big issue for the defense so far. Yeah. You handle Oregon State on the road, I think that's when you will see the, the hype take another level. Mm, I don't even know if that's going to do it, because if you're on the East Coast, you don't think Oregon State's anything. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go to some questions uh, from the chat box, and we'll get through, try to go through these quickly. First up, um, this is Steven. Uh, Caleb seems to hold on the ball too much and try to do the Russell Wilson backspin unsuccessful. Do you think the coaches tell it, will tell him to get the ball out quicker? I think if you watched last night's game, you saw a lot of players slipping and stuff. Sometimes he wanted to get the ball out quick, yeah. and suddenly the receiver was on the ground. Uh, so I think that played into a little bit. I don't think he necessarily holds on to the ball too quick. You saw, you've saw you seen a lot of quick passes in this offense the first two games. They've only tried to take a couple of deep strikes. They're letting He's letting plays develop, and the fact that he can then create on his own maybe allows him to do that, and maybe you have that concern. But with Lincoln Riley, I think he's probably going to be emphasizing that all the time because Lincoln Riley doesn't want him taking hits. Lincoln Riley doesn't want him taking off running. He wants him to be a, a passer first. So I, I think that if he is doing that a little bit, I think Lincoln Riley is probably harping on him. Hey, we got to get that out quicker. we got to get that out quicker here. Yeah. Remembering Caleb did say in the spring that he wanted to stay in the pocket a little bit longer, not yeah. just take off all mm -hmm. the time. So I think that's a, that's a product of taking just an extra – couple seconds and he's got the protection at times yeah you know, they, they're, they're holding up really well. well they've got shotgun level rant level uh time back there for <laughs> yeah <them. laughs> so-called dad uh were the pi penalties on blackman as well as the offensive pi on rice only penalties the pac-12 refs would call at least one was <laughs> that one blackman was the, the offensive pass interference on brendan rice was definitely an offensive pass interference you see he clearly extends the arm um didn't see it i was shooting him on that play shooting photos of him on that play and i uh, didn't see it in real time, but then when you see the replay, it's pretty evident. So he the referees pretty bummed when he was getting up after that big. He yeah. like he knew, like he was like, <laughs> like I've never oops. seen a more disappointed big play catch. He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to. Uh, we got to do some Facebook ones too. Uh, Brandon, his he wrote in and says, "Do you think this game may have pushed Caleb up into the Heisman race? He was like third, third odds to enter the season, like for the Heisman. So I think he's definitely." 
I will be interested to see uh, where his odds go after this game uh, because last week his odds got a little bit better. I think it went from like a hundred to one to seventy-five to one or something. You know, or maybe that was Jordan Addison's, but both of theirs went up, got a little bit of bump up. Yeah, Caleb Williams was much higher, sorry. Um, but, you know, both of those guys got a bump up, still behind Bryce Young, still behind C.J. Stroud. I think those two guys are the clear-cut favorites right now. And it's something that doesn't really matter at this part of the year. It's going to, by week seven or eight, you start clearing out some of those names that are on those odds lists that they send us. You know, suddenly the list is right now like uh, – 50 people on it, you know, that have odds. And some of those are like 2000 to one or much, much higher than that. You're like, there's no way this guy, but somebody that's when, uh, you get to your wide receiver, um, blanking on his name from, from Alabama to, to be able to go and get it. Treshawn Holt. No, the wide receiver that won the Heisman. Devonte Smith. Devonte Smith. Smith yeah. Climbing the climbing the list out of nowhere. Um, you know, because wide receivers just don't win the award. So we'll see down the road. But he's definitely doing enough to keep his name up there. We'll yeah. say that. Uh, Brennan also had another question. Let me pull this one up. Uh, week two down. Uh, do you think? How do you think USC stacks up to other top ten teams uh, like Michigan or Clemson? USC was the only top ten team to cover the spread this last week, so that was interesting. Really interesting. I haven't watched Michigan much. Clemson did not look good against Georgia Tech. Like they're they're having offensive issues and stuff. Um, I would say the, the Michigans and Clemsons fine. If you want to talk about Alabama, you want to talk about Georgia, Georgia. Ohio State. I don't th- I don't know about that. They but don't have the Alabama lines. didn't look that great, guys. That's true. It's but anyone Alabama. else? Anyone else? I think you could. You know, it's still Bama. They're flawed teams. Yeah, so. I'm, and. USC has flaws as well. So they're probably in that second tier. They're not in that top tier of teams. So somewhere around seventh seems perfectly reasonable right now. Yeah. Someone else asked in the chat, uh, in the YouTube chat, why are they ranked behind Oklahoma? You know, but probably because Oklahoma won last year much more than USC did. Yeah. So they started you further start ahead. Um, and they've got a good quarterback. And I think the biggest difference in you talk about Michigan, you talk about Clemson is just quarterback play. You know, Michigan's still trying to figure out their quarterback. They just named J.J. McCarty the, the quarterback for next week after having their trial for the first two games. D.J. Uangalele has not been great for Clemson, unfortunately, no. because, you know, he's a great kid, and we like to see the Southern California kids do well. Um, but they've got to figure that out of Clemson as well. So those, those are the teams that, you know, that are in that second tier because they don't have that elite quarterback play right now. Yeah. We got a YouTube question from Brandon. Uh, Fresno State feels like, a Rayleigh Brown breakout game. What you say? I would say the opener was his breakout. I mean, the yeah. fact that everyone was talking about him after the opener, I think that usually means breakout to me. You hit the Heisman. You had your like little viral moment. Yeah, that was pretty breakout. I feel like yeah. if you're talking about breakout, maybe like over 100 yards or something like that. But Maybe something like that. Pretty yeah. good opening for a number 14. Mm-hmm. But Steven, if, it, if his, his ankle's good. If his ankle's good, maybe we'll see a little right. more. He might have been slowed a little bit. We didn't see a yeah. ton of him uh, on Saturday. Steven had a question. Uh, were most of those audibles called by Coach Riley? Uh, he's not getting enough credit for the offensive explosiveness. I, I think he's getting a lot of credit. He created it all. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. Caleb is part of that, too. I mean, that's something that he's doing more in the second year of this offense. You know, him and Riley have this, like, uh, player-coach speak where they're kind yeah. of finishing each other's sentences. So I would not be shocked if a lot of that is on Caleb, you know, making those calls as well. Yeah. He was asked about one specific one uh, after the game, and Caleb was asked about you know you know him changing the play, and he's like, "Oh, that's actually the big dog over here pointing to Riley," and then Riley quickly was like, "No, no, that's him," and like that's the thing. It's it's such a you know cooperation between those two guys. They're talking about it, and there were some plays in the second half 
where Caleb's trying to call for a certain play as Riley's calling in the play. And I remember one, it was like a second down, and Caleb, I think Caleb wanted to pass the ball or something. He wanted to attack a little bit more, and Riley called a more conservative call, it seemed like. And as he's walking away, Caleb's just like throws his hand towards the sideline. Like, man, I don't like that call. Uh, I think they, I'm guessing they still ran. Uh, he still ran Lincoln's call. But you, you just, it's interesting to see the dynamic between them. And if you didn't know how good of a relationship you had, you'd be like, oh, is, is this a quarterback that's uh, not in tune with his coordinator or his head coach? You know, how, what's a, you know, what's the deal there? But you can just tell when they talk you know, about each other and they talk, uh, you know, around each other, how in sync they are together and how, how, how much they're collaborating on this offense. So I think some of the calls at the line of scrimmage are Caleb. You see a lot of hand signals with the wide receivers. He's reading certain things and making some adjustments, whereas Lincoln also, they'll do kind of the check with me type thing and they'll look over the sidelines. Sometimes they'll make a, a change to the play call that way too. So it's a little bit both. Oscar, he wrote in on YouTube, uh, if, the defense can, if the defense can hold the opponents to less than 30 points, do you guys think SC will win every game? That's a, that's a really good question. I think I mean, so. I would say yes. <laughs> basically you're saying, are they going to score 30 points a game? And there's going to be one game where they don't. There's going to be one you game think? this season. Well, they'll, they'll be held to 28 points. They'll be a weird something. game. But I bold predicted them to average 40 points per game. So I would say <laughs> yes. Yeah, nice. David Johnson, does Ryan still think that Stanford is butt? Yeah, I don't think they're very good. But the, the defense was bad. They're going to give up a lot of points, um, even the new front that they're running. The offense looks, you know, even though they haven't changed the coaching staff, the offense, you know, they got a lot of their skill guys back. They, you know, they got big receivers. They're going to outscore some people, I think. But, you know, now you're going to kind of see it. Um, this was a surprise. So everyone else is going to know that you're going to be running this now. So, But I don't think they're going to be a very good team. I don't think they're going bowling or anything. So SoCal Dad asked an interesting question. Do you think Fresno is better than Stanford? Just, Ryan, you would you would probably be able to answer that one best, I would think. Yeah, I mean, they're different. I mean, I, it's, it's two games in. I think it's hard to say. I think Fresno State's better than Stanford. They were like a 10-win team last year. Uh, but this one's going to be at home. Um so, yeah, I, I, but I think Stanford went into this one. Stanford did what, like, Fresno State was doing to Oregon State yesterday. They were throwing every, everything with the kitchen sink at it. So I think Fresno State's probably a better team. Um, uh, we'll see. Ryan and I have a uh, friendly lunch bet. I have Stanford going to a bowl game. He does not. Right. So Who he feels like on that, the worst end of that? That's going to taste very, very Shotgun. good when we go to Big Walk. Uh, Facebook from Bob, did David Shaw figure out Riley's offense at halftime? If so, will this continue for the rest of the season? Then we better score 60 in the first half, uh, and then we'll, we'll only score six in the second half. No, USC still moved the ball in the second half. They had three yeah. field goal attempts, so it's not like they were stopped three and out every time. Um, I just think they got a little conservative, and I think this, I think this offense – needs to be full throttle all the time to excel because you have so many playmakers. You have so many guys you want to get the ball to that if you're not going full throttle, I think you lose a little bit of interest because you don't, you, you're not Drake London. So you're not getting the ball every single time, regardless if the offense is going really fast or slowing things down. So then if you, you know, you're getting one out of every eight throws and those eight throws are now coming over, you know, an eight minute stretch versus a four minute stretch, just based on the pace that you're playing in, you know, I think you can lose an interest a little bit, kind of like a pitcher that, you know, throws too many balls and the defense kind of get, loses interest and, you know, makes an error behind them. We've got a couple of quick injury questions. Uh, ISJST was Travis Dye hurt. He seemed to be holding his shoulder throughout the game. 
I don't know where this one came from. I, I, it was on a certain play. I He came up really slow, and he did seem to favor his shoulder. I thought maybe he was going to come out, but he kind of just like – he got it really slow. He seemed to be holding his shoulder, but he kind of like shook it off and was fine. I would say he's a little banged up, but – you know, no it's more football, than yeah. no more than any running back who's taking hits. I mean, every time I see a, a smaller player get driven into the ground, you're like, oh, that's like Max Williams on his interception. You know, you go, oh, is that, that going to be a shoulder issue? And you, know, you just kind of never know. But you know, he after the game, he seemed perfectly yeah. in good spirits. So I don't think he didn't have his shoulder wrapped up or anything extra after the game. So I would assume that he will be good to go next weekend. Bob on Facebook, did Brandon Peely play? If so, how did he do? He did play. Brandon Peely did play. Yeah. Played a good amount of snaps as well. Um, he can still be more impactful, and that's what you're looking for. Uh, but he's a big body, and he's their biggest big body in there. I, you know, none of the the nose tackles really stood out as far as Stanley Taufau, Taufu. Um, he made a couple of tackles in there, lost his helmet once again because that seems to happen at least once every game. Uh, Brandon Peely, same thing. You know, made a couple of plays. Just I, I love seeing the effort you're seeing from Brandon Peely, chasing down plays that are a long way away from him and trying to make a play. Maybe one in the Rice game, I think it was the. The uh, play that Romel Height was ejected on, it was a screen play, and he actually makes the tackle like 14, 15 yards down the field. And that's just showing effort. And that's something that, that Brandon Peely struggled with a little bit, just consistently showing that effort and you know giving that effort all the time. So to see that so far in the first two games, I think is a real positive for USC. Yeah. Uh, Andrew had a question. Sorry, trying to get through these quick. I know there's a lot of them. Uh, is this the first Stanford game in 15 years where it looked like we won in the trenches? I wasn't alive 15 years ago, so I can't answer that. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. That's a long that's a time ago. a false statement, Chris. I don't know. Um, I, I wasn't here on this earth. I, I think they won on the de- the offensive line for sure, and the defensive line got a lot of tackles for loss. I don't know if they won, but the the game was to a Cravens coming off the edge against uh, was Kevin Hogan at the time. USC dominated that one. The one at the Coliseum, I thought they you know they showed that was the you know what we always call it the false uh, the false barometer um, for because, Stanford. Yeah, yeah, because USC's. Ch- was really good in the trenches in that game. And there were a couple others along the way there, but those were at the Coliseum. You know, when they played it at Palo Alto, they've struggled in re- recent years. Yeah. We got another one from Brendan. Uh, do you guys, do you think that uh, the first half put people on notice that USC's offense can score on anyone? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think they're certainly an offense that can score on anybody. On anybody, maybe, but, you know, we haven't seen them play an elite, elite defense like, in Alabama or Georgia, but they can score. That's what I know. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. That's the questions I had uh, marked down. Did you guys, do you have any other ones, uh, Shoddy? I thought a good question from a dog's life in Portland. After two games, which unit needs to improve the most? Uh, I guess like he means like specific position units. Position unit. Yeah. I would say Russians. I mean, I just don't feel like they're getting enough consistent. I mean, uh, Salmon Bird, obviously, I think has had obviously the best game that any of the Russians have had uh, this season. Only two games. But I think you would need more consistent uh, pressure off the edge and, you know, sealing that edge and, and things like that. Yeah. I think linebackers. Linebackers can still play much better. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, they've made a lot of plays, there's also some plays where they're just not in the right gap. You know, just being that consistent yeah. – uh, consistent every play, and that's something that Lincoln Riley talked about after the game uh, for the entirety of the defense is you know making sure you're doing your assignment every single play. And you know I, I think the linebackers that's an area where they can still get better. Eric Gentry did lead the team in tackles; he had double digits, which was good. Uh, Bob had a question on Facebook: Do you guys think think Max Williams is an NFL caliber DB? 
Ooh, that's a tough question. A tough question. I mean, those kind of smart, smaller nickel cornerbacks are becoming a thing in the modern NFL. Yeah, you know, with all the passing, so there is definitely a role. He's a football for player. He is a football player. He makes football plays. He has the high IQ. There's a reason why Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley, everybody gushes about Max Williams. Um, so I do think, you know, obviously there could be a role. He's going to have good tape, you're going to see. But it's all about, I guess, the measurables. I think that'll hurt him in the draft process. Um, but, you know, I, IQ and I think his tape will, will speak a lot for him. I think the he's got to show some more athleticism mm-hmm. just because the NFL, everyone is so big, so strong, so yeah. fast, where you can be super smart – but if you're not athletic enough, you just you know you can't keep up with everyone. So that's the big area of concern there. But he is super intelligent. He makes a lot of plays. He makes up for the athleticism he lacks by being smarter than everyone else. So that's that. I think he'll get at at the minimum. He'll be an undrafted free agent. He'll get a shot mm-hmm. and he'll have his chance to prove himself in camp. And if you know he finds the right team, then he could be in the league for several years. Like Nikhil Roby Coleman, you know, a guy who was an undrafted free agent out of USC, a little bit more athletic than than Max Williams, but again another smart player ends up being a nickel guy in the NFL and played for several years and obviously you know helped the Rams get to the Super Bowl yeah, uh, if he went undrafted and made the team I'd be like yeah yeah I, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked yeah be like, yeah Larry on Facebook based on the results from Texas A&M Notre Dame and Nebraska do you think that USC can flip some commits if they keep winning I think if they keep winning I don't and, think they have Nebraska has anybody committed that they want to flip <laughs> sure Good point. But if they keep winning, I think anybody in the country, commit-wise, would take a phone call from Lincoln Riley and USC. Yeah. I think you're already taking phone calls from him, but I don't know. But I mean, I don't know this specifically. Like, Texas A&M's recruiting like gangbusters, so. Just not playing like gangbusters. Damn. Yeah, they're not doing that. <laughs> um, we got one from Jake uh, on YouTube. Do you think that Damani, talking about Damani Jackson, has a shot to take over the CB2 spot when he returns? Seems like neither Sayer or Covington have locked it down. I'm borderline getting over Damani questions. You're getting there? I'm getting there. This is what happens when you have five star and they're not playing. Um, you know, and he's got to get on the field. He hasn't, and we talked about this on the podcast a little bit. You can hear a little bit more in depth answer there, but he hasn't been able to practice fully. Um, you know, he's coming off the knee injury. He missed his entire senior season, basically. So, missed all spring. He, he's got to practice. And once you practice, then you can start making your mark and then try to work your way up. So he's still behind a bunch of guys right now, not just those two guys that you mentioned. Talent off the charts, physicality off the charts, but he's not on the field. It doesn't matter. Right now, his plan should probably be get healthy, be a special teams guy, maybe get some burn in a rotation. I don't I'm not even talking about taking over a starting job at this point. All right, so we uh, we at the one hour mark for whatever reason our graphics get cut off as far as putting up YouTube and Facebook comments. So we try to put up as many as we could before <laughs> that happened. It just that always happens that way. I put up more after it, you know, that I've queued some up. But are there any other questions that, that I missed shotgun or any new ones Steven that you guys wanted, want to talk about? Steven want to know what happened to Taj Washington. Was he injured? He just didn't get any touches. I think it's just he, the nature he was, of the offense. Yeah, the nature of the offense. There's so many guys in this that they're going to try to get the ball to. So he he was not injured as far as we could see. So I don't think that that's the thing. We had some questions about Fresno State, Oregon State. You know, what do you think this Saturday is going to look like? Uh, wh- how do you think USC will do against both? Um, I'm going to save those for RJ and Ryan on Thursday. They're going to yeah. be your preview guys, so they'll get a chance to look at it a little bit more in depth. I haven't got a chance. You know, I watched maybe five plays from that Fresno State, Oregon State game in the last, uh, you know, the last 
three more minutes of the game. So I, I can't really tell you too much about them more than what I would have known in the beginning of the season or before the season. Yeah, we'll do a preview show on Thursday, just so you know. Um, so it'll be Jack. Jack Smith will be back and uh, me and RJ Abadia doing the preview, just like we did for the preview for the USC Stanford game on Thursday. So that's live Thursday nights at 7 p.m., just like we're doing uh, tonight, Sundays at 7 p.m. Uh, Trek, want to know, can you guys explain to me how USC got five sacks with the D-line line didn't get consistent penetration? I think part of that is USC did a lot of twists and stunts in this game, so that can be big plays, or it can end up you know, with being gashed at times yeah. because you know, you're trying to create uh, uh, confusion with the offensive line, but you're also vacating a spot to be able to create that confusion, so sometimes that happens, so I think that was the answer there. Yeah. Uh, Phil, want to know what are your thoughts on Sua Cravens putting the media's SEC bias on blast on Twitter? If you guys don't know, he said, you know, before or yesterday after um, Texas A&M lost, he said if if Oregon drops from you know basically un to being unranked after losing the number two team, where's where should Texas A&M drop? They should be out if they lose to Appalachian State, and I would agree with that. Now I would say forty nine three is a little bit different than you know being a close loss. But also, there is definitely still some bias. But Texas A&M and Oregon are 24 and 25 this week, so I don't think there's that much of a difference. Yeah, that's kind of down on the bottom there. But you're right. There's, I mean, if uh, you're doing that for Texas A&M, if there was a Pac-12 team, they wouldn't be ranked. So, Andrew, is uh, Taylor Mays an intense coach or more laid back? I would say he's more laid back. That just seems more like his personality. He's diff much different off the field as he was on the field as a player. Uh, Andrew yeah. also asked, is Chris a comic book t-shirt guy? Uh Specifically a t-shirt guy? Yes, I have a bunch of comic book t-shirts. I collect comics as well. Rick, want to know what adjustments can be made on the interior defense line if teams are going to continue to attack us there? One would be to get healthy. That that would be a good start. That helps. Um, but the different things that you can do is you attack with your linebackers a little bit more towards the interior. You put an extra defense alignment out there. So there's some adjustments that can be made there, but that – then affects the rest of your defense as well. So if you take you put an extra defense lineman in there, then you're taking the nickel back off. You know, they did use some different sets where they had three linebackers out there, maybe even four linebackers for their the big sets that that uh that Stanford had last night, bringing two Civi Namora on there. You bring in bigger linebackers, you bring in bigger defensive linemen, you know, so there's different things where you can use different personnel to try to attack it as well. And then uh, Steve said Herbie was very focused, Kirk Herbstreit, on the size of Coach Riley's play sheet. What do you think is actually on that play sheet since it can't be all of the plays? Recipes. He has a very small piece of paper that he goes over. Uh, what, what do you think's on there? I zoomed in. And I, so this is breaking. I need the breaking news. So it, I looked at it. Uh, it said milk, sugar, eggs. <laughs> it was apparently from his wife. It was what he has to buy. So he's, all of it's in his brain. There's, he doesn't need that card at all. What if those were the play calls name, like Milk Sugar as the joke? That'd be great. Could yeah. be. I mean, I mean, if you guys go back to the segment that I think Fox did with him, you know, where he has the memory, where he can remember what plays in in certain games and stuff, and the down and distance, all the type of stuff, what happened. Um, but his wife says that he struggles to remember the grocery list, so maybe it just is the grocery <laughs> list. There. No, I, I think that they have a, you know, they run a lot of things off of things, and they make adjustments as they go, it seems like. So, you know, I, I think it's – not that a giant play sheet, and maybe like Ryan says, he's got it all in his head. And as long as Caleb has it all in his head, then you know those two guys combined, you can make a lot of magic happen. Not yeah. quite an elephant head with all those. Uh, <laughs> always got to bring it up. 
Um, DFI, what do you think of Wazoo after they beat Wisconsin? Top 20 team with always good offensive line, defensive line. Don't overreact. They needed an interception in the end zone to beat Idaho at home Still the week win. before. Then they go on the road and beat Wisconsin, who, you know, I think Washington State's defense looked good. Rick, you know, Rick Dickert. Jake Dickert's uh, <laughs> defensive-minded coach. Uh, Cameron Ward, I thought would be electric. He's not played that well. The quarterback uh, transfer, you know, the FCS transfer from Incarnate Word. Uh, so don't overreact. I didn't want to overreact to the Idaho game, but it, that didn't look good. I'm not going to overreact to them beating Wisconsin. We'll see. But they're on the schedule. They come to the Coliseum. So hey, that, that's still a big win. That's going the road. It's a big, a big win. Ten for, for a Pac-12 team that, uh, you know, doesn't get a lot of respect or a conference that doesn't get a lot of respect against a big smash mouth football to a, you know, kind of more spread them out kind of offense. So. Yeah, hats off to them for picking up. One it's a, for, it's for the definitely a big win for the conference. The conference needs some wins, you know. And Idaho, the Fighting Juliana Falanicos. Yes, he started for Idaho in that game and had nice. four or five tackles. Nice. Ryan's, Ryan's uh, orbiting um, orbiting article. Yeah, yeah taught we'll me that last week. That'll be coming up. Um, Cilios asked if USC played Utah next week, how would the offense and defense do against the Utes? They don't. So <laughs> I don't. I don't like hypothetical questions. Um, and then I think the last one. Uh, Alan want to know, are there any candidates for potential position changes if D-line depth becomes an even bigger problem? I, I don't think there's a Max Gibbs on this team that you're going to flip over yeah. necessarily. Um, so I, I think you're a little bit more constrained there. They still have some more bodies, though. You know, Kobe Pepe has not played. Earl Barquette has not played. So there are some more scholarship bodies that just haven't played so far. So, but they need those guys to step up. Uh, that's the big thing is you got to get the you know the guys that are down the list a little bit to start making some plays in practice and start working their way up the the depth chart if you have some injuries. Waiting for the big freshman Devin Topkins, who is legit six foot six, two sixty. He's a big one. Obviously, very raw basketball player. Didn't start playing high school football until his uh, senior year, so very raw. But if he if it starts to click for him, I would expect to see him given his size and. You know, physical. Uh, just looks ability. so different from last year when yeah. we saw him. Uh, and SoCal Dad want to know why is uh, Jordan Addison returning punts instead of Gary Bryant? Um, have you seen the ball, Jordan Addison with the ball in his hands? That's probably why. Yeah. That would be my Just idea. as electric. Yes. All right. Well, let's wrap things up, guys. Uh, thanks to everyone if you tuned in. I think we had over, you know, 630 people on uh, YouTube watching. So hit that like button, subscribe on YouTube. If you're watching on Facebook, thank you very much. If you're watching on Twitter, thanks very much. If you're watching a replay on any of those platforms or listening to the podcast version of this, thanks for doing that as well. It's been awesome to see how the show's grown and, and the audience getting bigger and everything. So we appreciate that. We try to put you know, we put some work into this. We want to make it a, a special show for you guys. And uh, all the questions, all the calls, all that really makes it worthwhile. So I know you guys are excited. Uh, USC football is exciting again. USC football is fun to watch. <laughs> And it's fun for us, too. You know, we cover the team. It's way more fun when you guys care about it than if we're writing stories and you're like, oh, I don't care. Clay Houghton's head coach, blah, blah, blah. Uh, props to Clay Houghton, too, for getting a big win uh, in Nebraska, getting Scott Frost fired. So completely reversal of a year ago. So um, props to him. I know some of the fans aren't going to want to hear that. But, uh, you know, good, good on Clay to get a win for Georgia Southern in Nebraska, of all places. And thanks to everyone for shouting us out while we're on the sidelines or on the way to the stadium. All, you know, everyone... Uh, telling us you know what they enjoy, what they dislike, all those things. We we love interacting with you guys. We're at, we're at the games as much as we can in between working and whatnot. Uh, so thanks for for all the shout outs and for everyone yelling down to us from the stands and whatnot. We really appreciate it. And if you're not a member, go sign up. 
I mean, you got VIP content, not just the stuff that you can see here that we're giving you, but Chris has got his Ghost Notes game day. Those are I so mean, good. You, you got all the in, inside intel on what we're seeing on the sidelines there. I'm putting a couple of things in there to add to it. You, we got some takeaways almost immediately after the game, within like an hour of the game, some instant takeaways there. So make sure you're getting the VIP content and all the recruiting stuff if you're into recruiting. That's almost all VIP as well. So make sure you're signing up if you're not a member of the site. And then you can join the P, which is the largest group of USC fans in the world in one combined space outside of on Saturdays in the Coliseum yeah. is on the P every day. And there's so many comments and threads and stuff going there that, you, you know, it can take up the entire your entire day if you try to read everything. Uh, what's what's the famous line, Ryan? USCfootball.com has been decreasing uh, workplace productivity since 1996. So that's a, what we it's try. It's a true to do. statement. It's, yeah, <laughs> so many people came up to me at the the game, and it's like it's usually a guy and his wife is like, "Oh, he's the site that I read all the time," and then I always apologize. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, taking your husband's time away or whatever. Not always the husband, but you know it kind of works both ways. But yeah, and you can sign up for a dollar VIP access for a buck. So if you're not a member, jump in there. There's no reason not to be exciting time around USC football. I had someone come up to me and say, you know, wanted to explain and point out Chris and I to his wife because say 24-7. They're the ones that you see on the credit card charge every month. <laughs> nice. So there we go. <laughs> but we appreciate that. Thanks for all you know, everyone out there for listening, watching, being a subscriber, all of that. Can uh, I shout out Chris? Of course. He's probably watching. He during halftime, he came, shake, shook my hand. I said, what's your name? He said, I'm also Chris. And I was like, great name. Chris. I hope he's watching. If he's watching, shout out to you. Shout out to Chris. Hope you had uh, a good time in the game. We did have a lot, a whole, bit, a whole bunch of people uh, came up to us up there on the farm. So that was really cool. Uh, thanks for coming to say hello. Uh, it was great to see. But that's uh, Shotguns Prowling. Chris DeVito. I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we're back on Thursday for a preview show for USC, but Fresno State. But we will talk to you guys next time. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.